0: Good morning, Journey. Good morning. good morning. Good to see you. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? I hope so. We had a great Thanksgiving at the Reeve House. My name's Brandon. I'm the campus plant resident pastor here. That's a big, big title. That just simply means this is that we have a goal. We have a vision in the next 18 months to plant another Journey Church campus in the Kansas City area. And so they've brought me on staff to help with that endeavor. And we believe this, that there are hundreds of thousands of people in the Kansas City area that desperately need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ who are far from God. And we want to do everything we can to get the message out. And so we believe that we need to plant more churches. Less than 20% of the individuals in the Kansas City area attend an evangelical Bible-believing church. So we believe we need to plant more churches and that's why i'm here and i couldn't be more excited to be on staff at this fantastic church a great great team i'm learning so much from pastor christian he's teaching me so much and so it's i greatly appreciate the opportunity we recently moved here from florida i can't believe it's been four months already so we're just now getting used to the the season change it's it's a bit cold for us we're a little we're a little uh uh, uh, what do they call it? A little thin, thin blooded right now. It's, it's pretty chilly to us right now. So we're slowly getting used to it. Our family's been frantically buying up winter coats. We, we got rid of all those. So we had to buy some winter clothes and some snow shovels and some ice scrapers. So we're getting ready for a long, harsh winter here in Kansas city, but we're absolutely excited to be here, um, with you guys. Um, This last Thanksgiving, um, we had an unbelievable meal, and one of the traditions around the Reeb household is that before we dive into the food, we all have to say things that we're thankful for. And uh, this year, I decided to do it a little bit differently. Uh, I I said this, let's give one thing that we're thankful for, uh, item that we're thankful for. Let's, Let's name one person we're thankful for. And then let's let's name one attribute of God that we're thankful for, one characteristic of God that we're thankful for. So we went around the room. And some of the things that were mentioned was Cooper, my oldest son, just turned 16. He was thankful for the driver's license that he earned. He was very thankful for that. Demi, my daughter, she loves her bedroom uh, all to herself. She loves our house. and. Abby, my wife, mentioned, man, I'm so thankful that I have a washer and dryer that finally works, right? So we spend a little bit of time in the, in the Reap household not having a, a decent washer and dryer, so we got that up and fixed and, and working well. So don't you wish, and maybe you're like me, don't you wish that Thanksgiving lasted a little bit longer than just one day? I, I absolutely love the Thanksgiving holiday. I think it should last three days like the original Thanksgiving feast, in America. In 1621, the original Thanksgiving feast lasted 3 days. Now that sounds awesome. Eating for 3 straight days on amazing turkey and all the fixings. That sounds like a great plan. It was almost as if it was almost as if one day wasn't enough for the Pilgrims and the Native Americans to express their gratitude towards God that they needed 3 days. And so today, we're going to not hasten ourselves, not hustle off to Christmas just yet. But we're going to spend one more day in our, our series that we've been in in the last couple of weeks called The Lost Art of Gratitude. And today we're going to really focus in, just like those early pilgrims, on the generosity of God. And, and so let me begin just to, just to launch us today with this question. Outside of this time of year, the Thanksgiving holiday, do you, do you talk much about the generosity of God? do you Do you talk about it with your friends and your family? Do you have conversations about how generous God has been in your life today we 're going to hone in on a passage of scripture in the book of Matthew, where Jesus presses in on the generosity of the heavenly father so let 's go ahead and turn there now. Matthew chapter twenty is where we 'll be at verses one through 16, this is a great time to fire up that app, pull those notes out onto your lap. There's a lot of notes there today, but just trust me, I'm going to breeze through them pretty quickly, so not to concern you that this is going to be a 50-minute message. Let me give you a quick history on the Gospel of Matthew. Now, Matthew was written, obviously, by a man by the name of Matthew. Now, Matthew was a tax collector whose life was dramatically changed because of an encounter he had with Jesus Christ. And so Matthew, like the other gospel accounts, followed Jesus on his three-year journey, and he took meticulous notes. And that's how we got the gospel of Matthew. The gospel of Matthew also does something interesting. It bridges the gap from the Old Testament that we have in Scripture to the New Testament. Matthew does a beautiful job of doing that. And Matthew focuses on the interesting characteristic of Jesus Christ, that he was the Messiah, that he was the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. So you'll see notes of that, hints of that in the Gospel of Matthew. And so Matthew today talks about a parable that Jesus taught. And a, and a parable is simply a short story given or intended to teach a deep spiritual truth. So parables were oftentimes, uh, uh, may, may, have, may or may not have been a true story, but Jesus frequently used parables to teach his disciples deep spiritual truths. And interestingly enough, this parable that we're going to read about today is only found in the book of Matthew. And it makes complete sense because Matthew is, as a tax collector, would have paid particular attention to any time Jesus talked about generosity, any time Jesus talked about money. And Matthew, as a tax collector, would have approached the idea of of gratitude and the idea of generosity from a tax collector's perspective as if it was a balance ledger, or he would have looked at the generosity of how full the money bags were. And, And Jesus approached gratitude and generosity from a completely different perspective. He approached gratitude and generosity from a perspective of it's a matter of the heart. And so Jesus told parables in such a way, and you're going to find that today. Jesus told parables in such a way so that you can see yourself in the parable. So that's the question for you today. Do you see yourself as one of the individuals in the parable today? Let's read about it. It's Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. It says this, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. But about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us. They answered, he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Verse nine, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. And so when those, so when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money, or, have, or are you envious because I am generous? And then he ends up by saying this. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Pastor Christian last week shared a profound truth that I want to reiterate with you this morning. And that is this, that a gratitude problem uh, in our lives is a sign of a deeper spiritual problem. If I struggle with gratitude in my life with those around me and with gratitude towards God, it is ultimately a sign of a deeper spiritual problem. And so I wanted to take a moment to just review where we've been out the last couple of weeks. Week number one, we talked about how unless we have accepted grace in our life, we cannot give gratitude. We said this statement that gratitude is inseparably connected to the grace of God. Week number two, Pastor Christian, just last week, gave a great message. And the bottom line of his message was simply this, until I have found contentment in my life, I cannot have gratitude. And he reminded us that we need to be aware of those thieves in our lives that will rob us of our contentment. Those thieves of of comparison, of coveting, of complaining. All of those thieves will rob us of the, the contentment that we can have in God. And in week three, if I could just summarize it in just one simple statement, it would just be this. Until I appreciate the generosity of God, I cannot express gratitude. Until I appreciate God's generosity, I cannot express gratitude. So we said this, gratitude is the measuring stick of our acceptance of grace, of the amount of contentment in our life. And today we're going to find that gratitude is the measuring stick for our appreciation our appreciation of the generosity of God. So if I could summarize the parable in this, it would be just like this. There are five groups of workers. You probably remember hearing about that. The early morning shift started at 6 a.m. in the morning, and they put in a 12-hour day. The morning shift started at 9 a.m., and they would have put in a nine-hour day. The noon shift uh, would have come in and they would have put in six hours of labor. The afternoon sh- afternoon shift came in at 3 o'clock and they would have worked for just about three hours. And then finally the evening shift. And wouldn't you have liked to be the evening shift? They came in at 5 p.m. and they only worked one hour. You know, all the workers agreed to be paid a day's wage. All the workers were paid publicly so everybody else could see what everybody was making. And all the workers were paid equally now let me pause for just a moment because I know there are business owners in the room today as you hear this parable you're thinking in your mind this is really bad management and labor practices isn't it I mean it seems absolutely unfair unless you see yourself as the late shift worker the worker that came in late put in one hour and got paid the exact same as everybody else The late shift worker is like that friend we all have when there's a job that needs to be done. They're always coming in at the last minute. Hey, guys, is there anything I can help with? No, we've basically got this all finished, but thanks for showing up anyways. That's the late shift worker. And I think Jesus is using an overstatement today in his parable to drive home a deep spiritual truth. So if we were going to spiritually summarize this parable, there's only basically two groups of people. The individuals with an ungrateful heart are the individuals that were the early shift, and the late shift workers are the individuals with a grateful heart. The landowner in our parable today is God, and the day's wage is representative of God's incredible generosity. So who do you see yourself in the parable today? Do you see yourself as the early shift worker, or do you see yourself as the late shift worker? Because this is important. Who you identify with in this story will indicate how you view the landowner. Who you identify with this in this story will indicate how you view God. What comes to your mind when you think about God? You know, one of my favorite theologians said it like this, and a theologian is basically a a guy that, that I have appreciated who comes in and takes a passage of Scripture and simplifies it, summarizes it so that it's easier to understand. And one of my favorite theologians says this, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes into your mind when you think about God, that's the most important thing about you. So let me ask you this, what do you think about when you think about God? What did you come into the room thinking about God? What was your perspective of God? Because that is the most important thing about you. And today we're going to find that there are three views of God in this passage today, in this parable today that I want us to take hold of. The first view of God is this, that God is for us. God is for you. You see it in verse 11, when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. Verse 13, but he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Will you circle that word? Will you highlight it? Whatever you need to do to to remember that. I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you work for a denarius? See, the early shift workers believed that the landowner perhaps was holding out on them. I believe that's why they began to grumble. I believe that's why they began to complain, because they believed that, God, that the landowner was holding out on them. And I love how Pastor Christian said it last week. And in summary of this passage, he said this, the comparison is often used as a complaint against, the, against God. Comparison is often used as an argument against God. You see, that was the problem with the early shift workers. As the wages were being distributed and everybody could see what everybody was making, the late shift workers were seeing, or uh, the, the, the early shift workers, forgive me, the early shift workers were seeing what everybody else was getting, getting paid. And when they saw that everybody was getting paid just the same as they were, they were getting paid. Uh, Or they were getting frustrated. And it makes complete sense, right? Because some of them had worked 12 times longer, 12 times harder than the lay shift worker. You know, I grew up with two brothers. And we loved Christmas time in our house. And we had tradition in our house that that we all took turns opening gifts. Did you have that same tradition? Maybe you still have it to today. We all take turns opening gifts and each one opens their gift and then everybody who's in ahs and then you move on to the next person. And my parents were clever. You always start with the least significant gifts. You start with the tube socks and the underwear and the T-shirts, right? You start with the least significant gifts and you build up for the really cool gifts. Well, my parents did some things to just kind of keep it creative every once in a while. And so we would watch everybody open their gifts, and my brother would open up that really cool G.I. Joe set, and, and my other brother, he'd open up a really cool matchbox set, and then it would come to me, and I would open up my three-pack of Fruit of the Loom underwear. Yeah. Right? The excitement had built up, and I'm expecting something really cool, and then all of a sudden, I've got a pretty insignificant gift. You know, as I was reflecting upon this passage this week, I, I was reminded that maybe that same heart that I had towards my parents when I'd open up that three-pack of, uh, of underwear is maybe the same, same uh, uh, heart place in the heart where, where the, the early shift workers felt too. They, they felt like God was perhaps holding out, the, out on them. And so as you see the success of others around you, do you feel that God's holding out on you? Or do you think that God thinks less of you because you see the success of others around you? I love what Isaiah 41 verse 10 says. Uh, Isaiah reminding the nation of Israel says something very profound. He says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see many times throughout The Old Testament, we see the nation of Israel complaining and grumbling towards God. And Isaiah the prophet steps in and he says, guys, God is for you. He is your God. He is on your side. I think the first view of God that we can see in our parable today is that God is for you. God is for us. The second view of God I think that we can see in our parable today is that God is fair. It's found there in verses 13 through 15, but he answered one of them. He says, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired the last the same as what I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? You see, the cry of the early shift workers to the landowner was ultimately this isn't fair. This isn't fair. When I was in 12th grade, I had one of the toughest teachers I've ever had in all of my school. Her name was Mrs. Hedges. She taught me English. She taught us English. Tremendously hard teacher, but really stretched us and make us better writers. And she was just a great teacher. But when we as a class would shout out or would complain and grumble and say, this isn't fair, she would always make this statement. And I still remember it to this day. She would say, fair is not always equal. And equal is not always fair. Fair is what's fair for you. Fair is not always equal and equal is not fair. Fair is what is fair for you. Parents, we we understand this uh, in, in raising our children. With my children, the fact that all three kids get to sleep under the roof of our house, that's equality. All three of them get to sleep under our roof. But just because they all sleep under the same roof doesn't mean they all have the same bedtime, Right? They all have different bedtimes because we as parents know what is best for them. We, know, we as parents know that, that what each child needs in order to be effective on a day-to-day basis. That's considered fairness. It would be completely unfair of us as parents to allow my daughter, who's 12 years old, to binge watch Netflix all night the day before school. That, that's unfair. And so if the landowner were to be unfair in our parable today, he would have paid the workers less than what he had agreed upon originally. You see, the early shift workers were comparing their wage to, a, and the amount of work that they had to put in with all the work that the late shift workers had to do, which was not very much. And they were simply offended and that they were considered on equal playing fields. So a question for you. When you compare your life to the life of others, do you often say to God, God, this isn't fair. You're not being fair. You know, it's not fair to say that God is not fair when we believe that we are not being treated fairly. It is, not, it is unfair to say that God is not fair when we believe that we are not being treated fairly. Most of the injustices that we experience in our lifetime, guys, most of the injustices that we experience are a result of thousands of years of accumulated sin and poor decisions. And we cannot blame God. It's our fault. And if we're going to have a healthy heart of gratitude, we need to trust that God is fair and knows what's best for each and every one of us. God is for us. God is fair and I think the third view of God today is that God is generous. God is generous. And ultimately this is really this is really the point of the whole parable. We we can learn a lot of uh, from the heart of the workers but the main point, the main focus of this parable is the incredible generosity of God. It's found in verse 15. Don't I have the right Jesus says to do what I want with my own money or are you envious because I am generous. You know, the amount of money in the landowner's bank account was never called into question in this parable. The early shift workers never assumed that the landowner was out of money. The early shift workers were simply envious of the incredible generosity of the landowner toward the late shift workers. And sometimes an envious person will not desire more for themselves, but would simply desire or wishes that others would have less. I found that in my own heart as well. Sometimes when I envy other things, I don't desire more for myself. I just simply, desire, I just simply wish that others would have less. So how do you feel? How do you guys feel when you see the success of others around you? H- how do you feel when that coworker receives the promotion, when you felt like you deserved it? Or how do you feel when that kid on the, on the soccer team receives the MVP when you felt like your son or your daughter received the MVP award? Or maybe even just practically when a neighbor pulls into the driveway with a new 21-foot Ranger bass boat, how do you feel? How do you feel? Do you celebrate the success of those, Or is there a little bit of envy in your heart? See, a grateful person, grateful for all that God has given, wants God to bless everyone. Uh, and and when others are blessed or, or succeed they celebrate that with them a healthy heart of gratitude understands that god's riches are far beyond our wildest dreams and he god takes delight in blessing blessing all of us recently we had an opportunity to do something that uh, my wife and i have been working hard on for the past uh, i don't know 6 or 7 months and, and and it was it was this we had been saving money to buy our son a vehicle. He had just recently turned 16, and we've been practicing some of those Dave Ramsey principles. He's this financial guru guy and talks about baby steps and and, and, and and budgeting. And so we've been really working hard on saving money for our son. And so we really wanted to make it a big deal. So we went out and found a car, and we were going to give him this amazing gift. I pulled it into the garage, and, and, and we were going to surprise it with it. So we opened up the garage door, and he saw this this car and he, and he had a big old smile on our, on his face. I really wish he would have cried a little bit, maybe a little bit of a tear of appreciation, but you know, he's 16. But I cannot tell you how good that made me feel, my wife and I feel when we were able to bless him with this car that we'd been working so hard for. You know what as I reflected upon that, I believe that's the way God feels about us when he blesses us, when he gives us things. And, you know, I've also discovered this, that many of his blessings don't come in material items. His gifts are far greater than that. There are gifts that he gives us every day that go unnoticed. That sometimes, to be honest with you, we take for granted. And as I was reflecting upon those amazing gifts, I came up with three that I know that I most often overlook in my life. And maybe you do, too. The first one is this. The fact that God gives us life is an amazing gift. Do you know today, on average, a human being will breathe 20,000 times? Think about that. You're taking a breath in, a breath out. You don't think about it, but that's an amazing gift. And you'll do that 20,000 times or more today. Every breath that you have that's coming in and out of your lungs is a gift from God. James chapter 4, verse 13 says it like this. James says this. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are but a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is... The Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Every breath that you're breathing is a gift of God. I think another uh, uh, underrated and overlooked generous gift of God is his never-ending love. His never-ending love. His love is unconditional. It has no strings attached. He loves you the same each and every day. In fact, I've heard it said like this, there is nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. And there's nothing you can do that will make God love you any less. His love is unconditional, and I often overlook that every single day. Psalms 147 verse 11 says this, The Lord delights, I love that. The Lord delights in those who fear Him, who put their hope in His unfailing love. That the Lord delights in you. And then the third most often overlooked gift of God, I believe, is this forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sin, the countless times that I have sinned against God, as long as I confess my sins, He is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. And I often overlook that incredible blessing, that incredible gift of God. Psalms 86 verse 5 says it like this, You, Lord, are forgiving and good. Absol- uh, uh, abounding in love to all who call to you. The Lord is forgiving and good. So as you reflect upon the generous gifts of God this morning, His unconditional love, His, His gift of life, itself, self, uh, His forgiveness, how can you not feel like that late shift worker, totally undeserving, totally underworked, and overpaid so how about you how do you view god i wanted to throw these on the screen for us all to see just in just in big context here is your view of god unhealthy do you believe that god is against you do you believe that he's unfair do you believe that god is holding out on you or do you have a healthy view of god that god is for you god treats you fairly and that god is extremely generous In your life. Because unless we have a proper healthy view of God. We cannot truly be thankful for all that he's done. And will do in our lives. And until I appreciate God's generosity. I cannot express gratitude. So friends let's be the church. Let's be the church in our community. That's known for our gratitude. And together let's work together. To restore the lost art of gratitude. In our community. Let's pray. Can I pray for you guys?